0: All right, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We are going to continue our trek through the Beatitudes, uh, the way Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount. Nine times, Jesus says, blessed are these people. And so we are going to look at uh, the next one on the list, verse 6. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, turn there in your Bibles. I'm going to read uh, the entire passage, and then we're going to come back and we're going to look specifically at verse 6, okay? And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Who are before you. Father, we want to be blessed. God, we want to live the blessed life. God, we God, we want to remove things from our life that are going to keep us from from being and from having more of you. So Father, please teach us today. Please instruct us. God, please make it sink deeply into us the kind of desires that we should have and the kind of desires that we should flee from. I pray, Father, that um, you would satisfy our souls like nobody else can satisfy us. God, I pray that your spirit would be present, just controlling and, and moving and influencing and leading every person in this room. Father, we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Who's hungry? Anybody? Nobody's hungry? We've got a few. Okay, It's been a couple hours since you've eaten, hasn't it? Right? There we go. Okay. All right. So we get we get what it is to be hungry. One of the cool things about the Beatitudes is that Jesus talks in language that really drives home uh, what, 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 what the message of being blessed is. He, he knows already that you're automatically going to think that blessed are the rich and blessed are those who don't have any problems. And blessed are those who don't have any tragedy in their life. And blessed are those who have power. And blessed are those who are full, you know, satisfied, lots of stuff in their life. And so Jesus speaks in ways that really convince us that look, the people you think are blessed are probably not the people who are blessed. The people, the way, the, the, the path to blessing that you already have in your mind is probably not correct. And so Jesus says things like bless are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn and blessed are those who, who are meek. And, and then today "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now we all can identify some of you are hungry right now. Some of you might be thirsty right now, you know, probably not in a way, uh, that maybe Jesus meant Hunger and thirst, I think to Americans, hunger and thirst mean a little different something than it does to someone living in, in sub-Sahara Africa or somewhere in Asia. You know, most of the time for us, hungry is, is not whether we're going to eat. Hungry is the all-important question where are we going to eat, right? I mean, that that's where we are as Americans. And I man, God has blessed us in that. Uh, I, I've never had to worry about, will my kids have enough to keep them alive? I've never had to worry about that. You know, the thing we have to worry about is someone wants to go to Arby's and somebody else wants to go to Taco Mayo and, and somebody else wants to go to Pizza Hut. And, and really just, all that really matters is where does mom want to go? And that's what we got to find out. And sometimes she doesn't tell us and so we got to guess, you know. But that that's the kind of stuff that we have to deal with. And, that, you know, so, so really I think we need to kind of get our picture In instead of just hunger, and thirst. Maybe we up that a little bit. Bless are those who are starving for righteousness. Bless are those who are parched. Okay, that that maybe gets a little bit more at the point. Uh, I, I've never went more than a couple days without eating, uh, just in, in a fast. Or back when I wrestled, sometimes I had to make weight. And, and what I found, and some people are not this way. Some people tell me that they, they experienced something different. But what I found is about 16 hours into it, I kind of start to get a tunnel vision. You know, I'm just looking at when, when can I eat? You know, I mean, and I start to think about, it, you know, things that I associate with eating and places I associate with eating. And, you know, I just begin to get this tunnel vision of, of all I can think about. I'm consumed with when's my next meal going to come? I really think that's what Jesus has in mind here. He has in mind desires. He says, you know, blessed are those who have These kind of all-consuming, strong desires for righteousness... Thirst, I think, is a little more better analogy because while, while you can go several days, you know, maybe a week without eating and be okay, you can't go very long without drinking. And drinking actually produces, I think, a more a more desperate desire inside of a person. I remember one time when I was a, a teenager, I, I had gotten out of my tractor early in the morning to uh, clean off my implement, and I had taken a drink of my water jug and I put it on the dual uh, beside the the door to my tractor, and I climbed down and cleaned off my implement, came back up, and I remember starting off that tractor, and we took. Off And I remember seeing that water jug. It was a red one. And just remember seeing the corner of my eye flying underneath that duel, you know, as it crushed it, you know. And I went the rest of the day with no water. Man, I just remember that being the most miserable day. You know, it's over 100 degrees. The dirt is blowing. I've got nothing to drink. And I remember thinking, I knew in my mind, I'm not going to die. But my body was telling me, you're going to die. You know, I mean, it was that kind of desperate thirst. And that's what Jesus wants you to capture today. He wants you to to, to see blessed is the person who has... Has those kind of desires, not for food and not for drink, but for righteousness. Blessed is the man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Folks, what you desire is so infinitely important in your spiritual life. Really just your life, okay? Because if you just take your desires, okay, and you ball them up and lay them out in front of you, okay, that's going to direct your life. What those things hold is going to be the direction of your life. It's going to navigate your life. It's going to pull your life. And so if you have the wrong desires, and that, that, that's going to pull your, your life in the wrong way. If you've got the right desires, it's going to pull your life in the right way. Folks, what you desire is crucial to your Christian life. And here's the bad news, okay? The bad news is today that every one of us are born with a serious case of spiritual pica. Okay. Have you ever heard of physical pica? Physical pica is, is the, the condition in which someone has some sort of deficiency in their, their, their nutrition. And so they crave, they hunger for the wrong things. All right. Uh, we got a picture up there, Teresa. I think we got a picture of Avery. Avery, we got a picture of you. There it is. I don't know if you can see that, but, uh. Avery went through a time uh, about two years old or so where she had, remember all those great big hives that she had, those huge things on, on her? And uh, we knew it was some kind of deficiency. Go ahead and leave that up if you would, Therese. And so what, what we would find is we'd go outside and we'd find her by a, that's a wagon load of dirt there, and we'd find her just shoveling it in, you know, and just just eating it, you know. Now, it's not unusual for kids to try dirt. I mean, I know almost every kid's like, what does that taste like, man? You know, I mean, it's kind of the way they explore the world. Avery would eat it though, you know. <laughs> she was she was chowing down, weren't you, Avery? You don't remember, do you? Okay, but anyway, that 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 that's that's a form of that is when we have these cravings for the wrong thing. Okay, I looked up pica on on a on a website like Wikipedia or something, and it says this: pica causes cravings for products including metal, soap, dirt, chalk, charcoal, mothballs, ashes, paint, plaster, and my favorite. It smells good. Laundry detergent. Okay. <laughs> now, that's no good. You can take that down, Trees. That's no good when you have cravings for the wrong things physically, right? That, that can get you in trouble. Okay. We're all born with spiritual pica. You know what that means? We have a deficiency in us. You know what that deficiency is? That deficiency is Christ. We lack Jesus Christ. Not only do we lack Christ in our life, but we lack the knowledge of God. We lack the knowing that Jesus Christ is the most glorious being in all the universe and he will satisfy our souls with himself. We lack the knowledge of that. So we have a deficiency. And you know what that causes in us? It causes us to desire things that we should not desire. It causes us to want things we shouldn't want, to want things that are harmful for us. And you know what? Spiritual pica is much more serious than physical pica. You can eat a lot of dirt and be fine, okay? You can eat a lot of dirt and be fine. You can eat a lot of chalk and be fine. You might eat some ashes and be fine. I don't know how much paint you can drink, probably just a little bit, but it'd still be okay. But listen, if you've got spiritual pica, if you have the wrong desires and in your life you want things you shouldn't want, you lust after things you shouldn't lust after and you desire things you shouldn't desire and you want relationships you shouldn't want and you, you, you want, you want to, uh, uh, to be angry and get vengeance in your life. If you have those desires in your life, that's going to cause serious consequences upon you and maybe even eternal consequences in your life. And so Jesus says, Blessed is the person who has these deep and abiding desires for the right things, who values righteousness, who thirsts after righteousness, now, one of the things you're going to ask me, and, and I hope you might ask this, maybe you're, you're theologically thinking about this, but you say, okay, what does Jesus mean by righteousness, pastor? And you might even happen to know that in the Bible, there's a couple of different ways that we talk about righteousness. One way we talk about it is what's called, and this is a theological term, it's called imputed righteousness. And the other way that we talk about it is, is what's called practical righteousness. Okay, and let me tell you the difference between those two. Imputed righteousness is you do nothing, But believe in Jesus and Jesus puts righteousness in your account. That's a sweet deal, isn't it? You know what that's called, my friends? The gospel. Okay, that's called the gospel. When a person who who, who is in their sins repents of their sins and puts their faith in Jesus, the Bible says what happens is that person is joined to Jesus Christ and that person's sin it's transferred to Jesus and Jesus dies and pays for it. And Jesus' righteousness is put in the account, the account of that person and they're made righteous with Christ's righteousness. Let me give you a couple verses for that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says this, For our sake He, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin. See, that's what happened on the cross. God put our sins upon Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 4, verse 5, says, And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And so imputed righteousness is when a person comes to faith in Jesus and God puts the righteousness of Jesus into my account. And I stand here today not because I'm perfect. I'm so aware of how imperfect I am. Not because I haven't sinned. Not because I get it right all the time. I do not. I do not. But I can stand here righteous because of the shed blood of Jesus, because of the righteousness of Jesus placed in my account when I put my faith in him. That's imputed righteousness. Now what's practical righteousness? Well, practical righteousness is, once Jesus puts that in you, okay, once he puts his righteousness in your account, you know what should begin to happen? It should begin to leak out into the rest of your life. It should begin to to, to move into the practical areas of your life so that you begin to live in a right way toward God, in a right way toward your neighbor, in a right way toward your spouse, in a right way toward your kids. You begin to live out that righteousness in the practical areas of your life. And I think that's why Jesus uh, begins here in chapter five, talking about the righteousness of God. If you go to chapter five, verse 20 in this sermon, the sermon on the Mount, here's what Jesus says. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, all the scribes and Pharisees had was a a self-righteousness. You know what self-righteousness is? That's when you look around and you find somebody that's worse than you, you know, and you find them and you're like, yeah, that guy, I mean, he's a sinner and I look good compared to him, you know, wow, Uh, I'm really something because I don't do that and I don't live that way and I don't have that habit. Okay, that's a self-righteousness. That's making yourself the standard, finding other people to be below you so that you can feel good about yourself. And Jesus said, man, you're never going to see the kingdom of heaven if you don't do better than that. And so the only righteousness that God receives for heaven is the righteousness of Christ. But when that righteousness comes into your life, The Sermon on the Mount tells us what it's going to look like, okay? Verse 21, he says, you've heard it said about anger, the righteousness of God who makes us not... not smolder in our anger, not hold in our anger, but rather reconcile in our relationships. Verse 27 of, of chapter 5 says the righteousness of Christ is, is the righteousness that keeps a man from, from lusting after a woman that's not his wife. And in verse 31, it keeps a couple uh, obeying and following and committing to their marriage vows. And in verse 38, it keeps a person from retaliating and revenge. And in verse 30, or 43, it keeps a person from, from hating their enemy, but rather loving their neighbor and loving their enemy. And Chapter six, verse one, practical righteousness of Christ helps us to give to the needy. And and in verse five, to pray fervent prayers to the Lord and on and on it goes. Jesus is talking about what does it mean to live righteous before the Lord? And so I think what he's saying here is both of those. I don't think it's one or the other. I don't think you can have one without the other. You can't live practically righteous in your life. You can't be right with God unless you have Christ's righteousness inside of you. And so Jesus is saying, blessed are those who have the righteousness of Christ inside of them and who live out that righteousness in their everyday life, who hunger and thirst for more of God and for more of his righteousness. Folks, that is so important just even in your own spiritual life, your own looking at your life, looking at at how am I with the Lord? Man, you you know, a couple things that happen when when you see a hunger for righteousness. First of all, it tells you that you're alive. I remember when, when I first got saved back in 1990, I remember that summer just being so blown away at how God was changing my desires. I mean, that's the first thing I really noticed was that, that I had different desires than I had before, you know? And all of a sudden, I'd never, I had never wanted to read my Bible. That had never been a desire. I can tell you, before May of 1990, I had never woken up and said, Hey, where's my Bible? I want to read a little. Never had that happen. But after I got saved, all of a sudden, it wasn't perfect, it wasn't every day, but all of a sudden, I'd wake up and I'd be like, I want to read my Bible today. You know, I want, I want to get some of the Word before, before, I, go, before I go to work. And all of a sudden, I had the desire to be with the people of God. I was telling the other services, I remember I remember that I, I didn't really want to go to town because I kind of associated town with my old life and my old buddies, and I just didn't want to live that way anymore. Got to change my desires. I had no desire for that. And I found myself out at the elders of my, my church. You know, I remember being, being at a couple of the, the guys' house, or a guy's house, he had, he had a couple of elders over, and I just showed up, you know, and they, they talked about the Bible, and I just sat there and listened to them talk about the Bible. I had never wanted that. Believe me, you wouldn't have caught me doing that at age 17, okay? But God had changed my desires. And here's the thing. Whenever you see your desires are new, that's one of the ways you know you're alive. Because dead men don't hunger. And Ephesians 2, 1 says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And so one of the things that, that alerts you, that you've been born again, that the confirms in your life assures you of, of God's transforming process in you is that he begins to change what you desire. You know, it's also a sign of spiritual health. When you see that you're hungering and thirsting after the things of God, that that's a good sign that you have a spiritual appetite. You know what? Many of you who've been around hospitals, been around people in the hospital. what What's, what's one of the biggest thing people look for in a sick person, whether or not they're eating, right? Now, a lot of times, one of the first signs of sickness is that a person loses their appetite. And have you ever went to the hospital and you visited somebody and you say, well, how are they today? And then the people said something like, man, it's a good day. They ate really good. You know, I mean, that's a sign, right? I mean, they're excited about that. You know, uh, th- th- this person's getting well because their appetite is returning. Okay. In the same way. You ought to have a spiritual appetite for the things of God. One of the ways you know that, that you're in a healthy spot in your, in your relationship with God and your relationship with others is when you have a spiritual desire. You've got good desires, good appetite for the things of God. You want to be in church and you want to be in a small group and you want to be in your Bible and you want to be in prayer. I mean, that's a good sign that things are well in your life. Listen to some of the psalmists talk about this. Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2. They're describing their own desires. The, the psalmist says, verse 1, As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Same imagery. My my flesh faints for you as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you. With joyful lips. You know the interesting thing, both of those psalms describe men who are going through trials. Psalm forty-two is a a psalm written by a guy who is depressed. Later on in that psalm, he 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 says, "God, why am I so downcast, oh my soul? Hope in God, okay." But yet, you you see what's happening in him? He still has a desire for God, and he's fanning that desire. He's fanning. He says, "Man, I know the way out of this thing." Is for me to fan the desire for God in my life. Folks, blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness. You know, the cool thing about hungering for righteousness is that more of it will always be better. You can't say that about much of anything else in life, can you? You know, is more food always better? You know, is more always better? More. Well, I, mean, I tend to think so, but I know it's not, you know. I mean, if I eat all day long more and more and more, bad things are going to happen to my life. Okay? Bad things are going to happen to my health. Okay? Same with money. More money is not always better. More comfort in your life is not always better for you. It does not always yield good things in your life. More recreation is not always better. Okay? But, but here's the thing. More of Jesus is always better. It's, it's always good. It's always better. You oh, you can get enough of a person. You can get enough of money. You can get enough of shopping. You can get enough of vacation. You can get enough TV. You can get enough recreation. You can get enough fishing. But you can't get enough of Christ and his righteousness. And here's the great thing that's so encouraging to me is that there there's always more of Jesus to give. He never, he never gets to the point where he's like, well, that's all I got. You know, I've given you all I've got. People will get to that point. You can suck a person dry, can't you? You know? I mean, you can just depend on them and, and come to them and to the point where they don't have any. Moms, you know that, right? Moms have experienced that, you know? You got a kid and you're just like, man, you've, you've sucked me dry. You got, I got everything I got. I got nothing more to give to you. Okay? Jesus never comes to that point, He always has more. That's the exciting thing about heaven is you're never going to get to heaven and you're never going to be there long enough where you're like, well, I've seen everything, I've done everything, I'm bored, you know, is there anything else, Lord? You'll never get to that point because there's always more of Jesus to give. His glory is infinite. It's inexhaustible. You can't say that about anything else. You'll get bored at Disneyland. Believe me, you will get tired. If you go to Disneyland, you'll get tired of it eventually. It only takes me about nine hours, okay? And I am ready to be anywhere else but there tired of Dumbo. I'm tired of princesses. I'm tired of standing in line. I'm just tired of it. Tired of crowds. You know, get me out. Get me back to Kansas, Oklahoma, somewhere else. Never will you have enough of Jesus. There's always more of him to give. So we had a hunger for him. We had a thirst for him. You know, that's the testimony of the people of the Bible. I love the story of Moses. Here's a guy who talks to God face to face. Here's a guy whom God brings up on the mountain and gives him the commandments, you know? Bible says, he, Bible says of Moses that God talked to him as a man talks with his friend. And yet, yet you know what happens toward the end of Moses' life? God says, ask of me what you will. How'd you like that, huh? Genie in a bottle, one wish. Ask of me what you will. You know what, you know what Moses asked for? God, show me your glory. You see, Moses had enough of God that he knew. Man, if you're, if you're telling me you can, I can have more of something, I want more of you. Because there's nothing else that satisfies like you. There's nothing else that will transform my life like you. The Apostle Paul, he, he knew that. Here's a guy that was ushered up into the third heaven. Remember that? 2 Corinthians 12. Says Paul was ushered up in the third heaven. He says he saw things and heard things he could not communicate. And yet you want know what Paul said of his own life in Philippians 3.10? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Paul said, I want no more Jesus. These guys had an insatiable thirst for more of God, for more of Christ, for more of his righteousness. Folks, they knew what was valuable. They knew what was truly satisfying, what would truly satisfy their soul. Now here, here's a cool thing about 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 being hungry for the things of God. And also I th- I think it's a way that we we help ourselves to be hungry for the right thing. But it's this principle that the the more starving you are f- for something, the less priority the rest of your life is, okay? Think about it in physical terms, okay? The man who is starving to death is not worried about how his hair looks, right? True or false? That's true, isn't it? The guy who's been in the desert and he's 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 run for for you know miles and he is absolutely parched. That guy is not thinking about his four hundred one k. He's not thinking about you know whether or not to trade cars. I mean the 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 passionate thirst and hunger in his life have diminished every other priority. Okay, now the same is true in your spiritual life. The more hungry you are for spiritual things. And this is important to me because I want this. The less you will desire, the stuff you shouldn't desire. You see, I man, I want to follow that principle because uh, maybe I'm the only one in here, but i've I've got I've got things in my life that shouldn't be there. And there's times where I desire things I shouldn't desire, and, and I, I want that gone. And so I I, I want to desire more of God. I want to pour myself into. And to thirsting and hungering after Him, so that those other desires will diminish. Now, bad news is it goes the other way too. You see, the more you hunger for money, or the more you hungry hunger to be to be exalted in yourself, the more you thirst for position or power. What's going to happen to your spiritual life? You will have less desires there. The more wrong desires you have in your life, they will they will they will squelch the the good desires. How many of you have ever been in a spot in your life where you you, you were running after something you shouldn't have been running after and all of a sudden you didn't want to be in your Bible? The last thing you want to do is open your Bible and the last thing you want to do is pray. and The last thing you want to do is be at church and be with the people of God. You see, the wrong desires will squelch the right desire. but, But on the other hand, the right desire will begin to squelch the wrong desires. We need to follow that principle in our lives. It's kind of the thing that your mom told you. Your mom ever tell you that you shouldn't eat a box of Twinkies right before supper because you wouldn't be hungry for your vegetables? That's true, isn't it? Listen to, listen to the Bible, Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. All who has money, buy. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And then then the song, the Isaiah says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? John chapter 6, verse 27 Jesus says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. You, you, see, what, you see what Jesus is saying? Man, don't, don't labor, don't hunger. Don't give yourself to these desires that you should not have, that, that will not fill up your soul. Please help us understand this, Lord. You know, I think one of the things that fans a spiritual hunger, I'm interested in that. What, what's going to increase my hunger for the Lord, for spiritual things, for righteousness? One of the things that's going to fan that is, is working hard in the things of God. Okay? There's a physical principle there, too. If you go out and roof a house on a hot day, you're going to fan your, your, your desire for, for water, aren't you? If you go out and dig a ditch, you know, all morning, you're going to be hungry. Okay? In the same way, When you work hard for the things of God, when you work in the kingdom, Jesus even called the kingdom work his food. Okay, in John chapter four, he's he's at a well and the disciples go to town to to buy something to eat. And he stays there and, and talks with this Samaritan woman about the gospel. And when the disciples come back, this conversation happens. Verse 31 says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And then Jesus says this in John 4, 34. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his purpose. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus, that's my food. That, that's, that's my chief desire. I'm not, I'm not as much worried about that you brought, you know, beef jerky from town. I, I, I'm chiefly worried about the will of God in my life. Folks, an all-consuming hunger will cause the other hungers in your life to fade. You know, one way if you to know, I guess, maybe to to assess yourself, I think we ought to do that. Do you, do you believe in doing that? Just looking at your life and saying, Okay, are my desires right? Am I, am I right with the Lord? Am I, am I hungering after the right things? I think one of the ways to know that is to just assess, you know, Am I willing to skip a spiritual meal? I think that's a good way to tell whether or not you're very hungry in the Lord. That'd be a good test physically, wouldn't it? You know, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes, you know, we'll be getting ready for supper or whatever. And, and, and the kids are like off somewhere playing and, you know, we'll call them to come in and they don't come, you know, here's what I think. They must not be very hungry, right? I mean, really, you know, a starving man does not pass up a meal because there's people at the table that he doesn't really like, right? In the same way, someone who's really hungry spiritually, they're not going to pass up church because there's people in there who irritate them. A man who, who, who's dying of thirst, he's not going to walk by the water fountain without getting a drink because he's busy. In the same way, someone who's thirst after righteousness, they're not going to be too busy for their Bible. They're not going to be too busy for prayer. They're not going to be too busy for their small group. They're going to hunger and they're going to thirst for righteousness. And that's going to drive them to get what they need to get in the Lord. All right. All through this series, we've been looking at blessed. Who are the blessed? Who are the fortunate? Who are the people who who have good things coming into their life? Okay. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, those who have a deep desire for righteousness in their life. But look at the last part of the verse. Okay. The last part of the verse says, for they shall be satisfied. Satisfied is a cool word, isn't it? It even sounds cool, don't you think? Don't you think that, you know, some words just sound good? Satisfied, you know, I mean, that, that's a cool sounding word. And, and, and we know what it means. It means we're full. We got enough, you know, God, God's filled us up. Man, my cup is full. That's what it means to be satisfied. I've, I've got what I need. I'm, I'm basking in the fullness of what I have. And and here's the thing, everybody wants to be satisfied, but most everybody is looking for it in the wrong ways. So many of us think, if only I had more money, I would be satisfied. Have you had that little thing play out in your life? Almost all of us have, right? Graduate from high school, you got a job, maybe went to college. You know, you're part-time in it, whatever, making $15,000 a year. And what do you think? You think, man... If I made twenty five thousand dollars a year, I would be set. I would be satisfied. I'd be full, you know. And you think that, and you believe that, and you know, in your mind, you think, man, if you know, I, I, that would be ten thousand extra dollars a year. I mean, wow, you know. I mean, in your mind, that like that's a stack of money in your apartment, all the way to the ceiling, you know. You know what I mean, ten thousand dollars a year. If, if only I made twenty five thousand dollars a year, man, we, we'd have everything we need, you know. And then you graduate, maybe you get a better job, you start working full time, and your spouse starts working, and all of a sudden you're making twenty-five thousand dollars a year. And you know what happens? You you sit there in your apartment with your spouse and you got this big pile of ten thousand dollars at the end of the year, and you're like, Man, we have it made, you know? I mean, we got everything we need. If something happens, something breaks, we got it, we got is that what happened to you? No. You know what happened? Somehow you spent it all, and now you're thinking, "If only we made fifty thousand dollars a year." You know, I know someone who makes fifty, and I can't imagine twenty five thousand extra dollars. You know, I mean, we got we're we're living right now, but man, if we had twenty five thousand extra dollars, we you know, and what happens? You know, when maybe by God's grace you both get good jobs, and maybe you know you're both making twenty five, and you make fifty one year. What happens? You got no. If only we had 75, you know, because now we're in debt more than we ever were. And we got credit card bills and we got payments and man, we're strapped. We got no room to breathe. We got no margin in our life. See, you're not going to get satisfied, are you? Some of you started out tent camping, didn't you? And when it rained, it rained inside the tent too, didn't it? And so... So you just, you'd see those people pull into the campground with a pop-up. And man, you just literally, the drool would just come down your chin. You'd embarrass your family, you know. And you're thinking, man, if we had that. You know, and so you got a used one and it had a bathroom in it even, you know. And you got it out there and you're just like, wow, this is living. And then you your neighbor pulls up with a pop-up pulling a jet ski. And you're like. What are we going to do out here? I mean, there's nothing to do. There was something to do before, but now there's not, you know. What are we going to do? Well, the kids can't play in the water, and we don't have a jet, you know. And, and so, you know, this is how that that 25 and 50 are never enough, by the way. These two stories go together, you know. So, so you, you know, you buy the jet ski, and then you got to pop up in a jet ski, and, and you're you're in there, but there's four of you, five of you, and you're crowded, and someone pulls up in a fifth wheel. Oh. Man, if uh, if we that would be right. And then you get the fifth wheel and somebody pulls up in the motor home with the matching car. It, isn't that cool? Like they'll both like have the same stripe on them. And, and I don't know if someone did that in their garage or if, I don't know. But, you know, and wow, you know, it, it never does it ever satisfy? Does it ever fill you up? Do you ever get that stuff? And you're like, I don't need anything else in my life. This does it all for me. Do you ever get? No. Now, you may get to the point, because the Bible says in 2 Timothy, Godliness with contentment is great gain. You may get to the point where, you know what? You just don't care about that stuff anymore. That's cool, isn't it? When you get to that point, you're like, you know what? We don't have to. Whatever God gives us is awesome. Whatever God gives us, if He gives us a, a pop up, if He gives us a motorhome, if He gives us a big house, if He gives us whatever He gives, we're good, God. Okay, that's a good place to be. But see, you're not being satisfied by that stuff, are you? Because satisfaction doesn't come there. But here's Jesus' promise to you. Listen to the word of the Lord. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, they shall be satisfied. Now, I want you to believe the Bible. You should believe the Bible just because it says so. Okay? But I want to give you a personal testimony. Here's my life, okay? I know, I know that when my desires are wrong. I am a miserable person. I had a day like that this week. I don't know why. I had this incredible conference on prayer that God really moved in my life, really really changed some things. It wasn't just one of those deals where I'm like inspired and come back charged up. I mean, I came back saying, all right, Saturday I'm going to do this, and Tuesday I'm going to do this. I mean, it really kind of restructured the way I'm going to do ministry. But then I had this day. Or I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's a spiritual attack. But man, my desires were not right. You ever just wake up one morning and you're not a Christian? You know, I mean you are. But you know, it's like it all leaked out of you in the night. You know. And I just was not. I was not. I was not living righteous. I'm not right with my family. I was not right with the Lord. I promise you. I do not say this lightly. I'm not exaggerating. That was a miserable day for me. Misery. Emptiness. Nothing had changed in my physical circumstances. No new problems. I was not right with the Lord. I was not right with others. But Let me tell you this. The days when I am right with Jesus, and I am living out the righteousness of God... And I feel so blessed to be able to say this. Those are pretty happy days for me. I mean, I, I really am a guy that has quite a bit of joy, I think. I'm pretty content. Uh, I'm pretty excited about the Lord. I'm pretty excited about just life and ministry. That comes from, from hungering and thirsting for the right things. Man, would you just take some time here just to look at your desires? What do you desire? What do we desire? What, what, are, we, what are we hungering after? If there's desires in your life that are, that are squelching, the desire you ought to have for spiritual things, man, you've got to get rid of those. Because I promise you, those, those are going to keep you from being satisfied. We should have an all-consuming hunger and a thirst for the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you, God, to, to whet our appetite. Lord, I think about that psalm. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, you you are good. And God, we want to be satisfied in you. We want to have more of you. God, we we hunger and we thirst for you. God, fan that, that hunger, fan that thirst. And Lord, I pray that we would seek our satisfaction, not in things and not in people and not in and experiences, but God, that we would seek it in in you, in having your righteousness in us, and living out that righteousness in our lives. Father, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.